Hi everyone, you're listening to Guts and Girl Bits. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and I hope to share with you all sorts of information about women's health and digestive health to educate and empower you to make informed choices about your own health. Please remember that all information is general and does not replace consulting with a healthcare practitioner. Hey everyone, welcome to Guts and Girl Bits. Today I'm joined with Lisa Costavia, a naturopath extraordinaire. She's known as the thyroid queen in many circles, but in this episode we're going to be talking about PMS, particularly PMS in the way that it affects mood and mental function as well. Thank you so much for joining me, Lisa. Thanks for having me back again. (laughs) (laughs) If you didn't um, catch it in previous episodes, Lisa came on and talked about thyroid health and adrenal exhaustion as well. So those were some really good episodes if you wanted to jump back on and have a listen to those. But PMS, it's an interesting topic. Do you see a lot of that in clinic? I do. I see loads of it. I think it is something that a lot of women um, suffer with but just think that it's normal. Mm. Yeah. They just have to put up with it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And is it something that you've had a bit of your own personal dream? (laughs) The PMS queen. So anyone that's ever lived with me, my mum, dad, partners can definitely attest to um, the fact that I have made them suffer (laughs) with with my PMS. But I've found that using... um, naturopathic strategies and particularly looking at thyroid and serotonin um, Mm. to have been instrumental in helping me manage my own PMS. I'm very passionate about helping other women um, because it is definitely something that um, can get better and so women don't have to dread um, that that luteal phase. And For some (laughs) women it is literally from the point that they ovulate, say that's your day 14, that they suffer for two weeks um, out of every month and you know that's half half your month so I think um yeah there's lots that can be done <laughs> yeah so they don't have to dread that and they don't and neither do their, their family yeah exactly. they don't have to dread it <laughs> okay yeah. so um the phases of a cycle mm. so there's the two the two main phases mm. you've got your follicular phase the first half and say so your average person with your 28 day cycle that's 14 days and then your second half is your luteal phase which is after ovulation that's also generally 14 days but everyone's so different Mm -hmm. 28 days is just like a a number that's been put out there like I mean the year cycle could be 26 to 35 days and just be totally comfortable for you it really just depends on you know how it's affecting you if you're getting any symptoms as well yeah I think that's really good to clarify because I have had patients say to me oh I don't have a 28 day cycle um you know it's 30 days and they're stressing Mm -hmm. out because it is 30 days but that's that's completely normal too yeah, yeah, that's it. The 28 days is a number that's just being brought by pill companies. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So PMS typically it's in that it's, well it's in that luteal phase. Exactly. So yeah. if you're if you've got mood issues or breast tenderness or you know backache or anything like that, and it's day 13, well that's not really it's not classified as PMS. No, that would be ovulation symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what are the main symptoms um, of PMS? Are there different types of symptoms that you can get? So I I think there's over 150 different signs and symptoms associated with PMS. (laughs) So there's loads of them and every woman's presentation is a little bit different. But generally some of the more common things are flat mood or anxiety or irritability, bloating, 
pain, um, dysmenorrhea, so like back pain or cramping, mm. um, breast tenderness, fluid retention, cravings. We could go on and on. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many. Yeah. Yeah. And because it is so many symptoms, mm. um, it has been broken down into categories mm. as well, aren't they? So we've got PMSA, PMS anxiety, which mm. is where you've got your typical sort of anxiety symptoms mm. and and uh, more worry and mm. what they feeling like you want to be more introverted mm. and then PMSC which is where you've got your food cravings mm. and then you tend to get the what's called hyperhydration in that period as well where you get more breast engorgement fluid retention and bloating and there's PMSD which is like a more mild experience of depression and then PMSDD which is what we're going to be talking a bit more about in this session today. Mm. So do you want to talk about that? Sure. So that relates to premenstrual dysmorphic disorder, a more severe form of PMS. Um, about 6% of women experience premenstrual dysmorphic disorder. Um, so just heightened mood, symptoms much flatter in terms of the mood, more melancholy or more irritable, more sensitive, more paranoid, completely different to how that patient maybe is in the follicular phase. And so they notice a difference, but they don't really understand why am I having this heightened mood response. It just, it can really impact their relationships. Um, it can impact their jobs. I've had a patient that just kept cycling through job after job after job because she was very aggressive and at conflict with all her colleagues, but only in the luteal phase. But they found her very difficult to deal with, and she recognised, "I've got a problem, but I don't know. I don't know what happens to me every every month. I turn into this raging another person that I don't recognise, and I don't know how to stop it." So it can be very distressing um, too for an individual where they know well, this isn't my normal self, but I can't. I, I would can't seem to stop myself from being like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like they've got this little person inside mm. of themselves that comes out, takes control. Yeah, little devil. Yeah, little yeah. devil. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the sleep may also be affected, um, sluggishness, not wanting to be interacting with others too. So there can be that mm. social isolation and just oh, very sensitive. Mm. Mm. Which I think that um, it is fairly normal in the stage before you get your periods to be a bit more introverted Mm. but when it's actually affecting your quality of life and Mm. you know your ability to interact with people then that is completely different Mm. and especially if it's happening you know 10 days before you actually get your period and it's going on for that amount of time for a lot of people you know if it happens one or two days before they have their bleed it's not so much of an issue Mm. but 10 14 days that's a really long time isn't it to suffer yeah. Do you think that there are other things that influence a woman's susceptibility to experiencing PMS? Absolutely. I have no doubt that um, if a woman has experienced stress, <laughs> it comes up again and again and again, but where a woman is juggling a lot mm-hmm. um, in the weeks prior to menstruation, I often find that PMS is far worse Mm. and I see this all the time I see it in myself but I see it with um, students for example that during semester time students that patients of mine during semester time because they're juggling quite a lot in terms of their workload and maybe they're working and all the rest of it and they're putting that pressure on themselves Mm. menstruation or PMS is 
more profound mm. and then over the holidays or Christmas and so on if they're quite relaxed they get their period and they're kind of like oh who knew it was coming <laughs> um just because they've they've been getting more sleep they're they're more relaxed yeah. so I feel like that poor stress adaption definitely causes um the female hormones to go a little bit out of whack yeah which makes sense, right? Yeah. Mm. So if you're at a stage in your life where you're more stressed, mm. so be that, um, you know, going through HSC mm. as a young person or dealing with toddlers as an older person. Or, or teenagers. Or, yeah. Or, or yeah. Conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's because when we're juggling a lot, apart from cortisol and all the stress hormones, it's probably depleting nutrients like magnesium mm. and B vitamins, which are so important for hormonal balance. We might not be getting enough sleep. There's multiple factors mm. that play there. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right, so what's actually what's actually happening in the body when people are going through PMS? Oh, I think there's lots of things happening. Definitely we're seeing um, sensitivity with the hormones, with estrogen and progesterone. Um, if we're thinking about what happens in that luteal phase, when most women are getting that exacerbation, um, we're seeing fluctuations with estrogen and progesterone. So that definitely impacts mood and cravings and bloating and all that sort of stuff. But we're also seeing dysregulation with neurotransmitters such mm-hmm. as serotonin mm-hmm. and GABA. And serotonin is the one that's really been studied Um in most detail and we see that the drop in with estrogen estrogen is neuroactive so it it actually um, is involved in serotonin pathways so some studies show that with the decline um, in estrogen that occurs in that luteal phase we also see fluctuations and really a drop in serotonin Mm -hmm. and that's a big driver of the mood disturbance um, and definitely of cravings and things like that yep Sure. And so, in building upon that in conventional medicine, they've they've really understand that, and that's why antidepressants are actually the number one medication used to manage mm-hmm. premenstrual dysmorphic disorder. Yeah. Um, because they understand that serotonin has such a large has a large part to play. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, I understand why that is used, but mm. we're naturopaths, mm. and our naturopathic philosophy, um, Twilight Causum, is to mm. treat the cause. Mm. And uh, when you're just addressing the, the serotonin directly, mm. it's not really getting to that underlying cause. Agreed. I mean, everything has its place, mm. but for us, we've got a very um, different treatment approach, mm. don't we? Mm, definitely, mm. yeah. Mm. So... So obviously, like we know that using any depressants is going to be working on the neurotransmitters. So for PMS, uh, PMDD, mm. that's going to be quite indicated for that. But other forms of PMS, mm. often the oral contraceptive pill is recommended. Mm. And uh, from my understanding, one of those reasons is because it's actually um, basically phasing out our own hormones. It's inhibiting ovulation. Mm-hmm. So in our natural cycle, we've got estrogen coming up high, high, high until ovulation, yeah. and then that will actually drop down. And then our progesterone, which is released from the corpus luteum, which is the shell of our oocytes, that's going to be then gradually taking mm-hmm. that, that uh, hormonal place there mm. so the relationship between the estrogen and progesterone mm. should be a fairly smooth mm. um inverse mm. but what can happen is that 
if we are stressed or uh, other hormonal factors are at play, like you said, your thyroid function, mm -hmm. then the ovulation is not going to be strong enough. The corpus luteum mm -hmm. is basically going to be a little bit sloppy mm -hmm. instead of this nice source of progesterone. And mm -hmm. so then the dropping of that means that estrogen and the progesterone tend to wobble a little mm -hmm. bit in relationship to each other. Mm -hmm. And then the pill basically stops ov ovulation from happening. It just supplies synthetic hormones. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, you're getting these synthetic hormones in replacement so you don't get the symptoms as a result of the other hormonal fluctuations. And I think the big thing there is that with your own supply, you do get those fluctuations because the hormones are changing, you know, every day really, and particularly if you experience any profound stresses or something like that, they've got a wobbly <laughs> pattern. Mm. But where you're taking the pill, you're getting that same amount if it's a monophasic pill, you're getting that same amount every day. Mm. Um, so, you know, you're getting that stability, which, you know, is not necessarily what your body would normally be doing. No. Mm. We're not creatures that are monophasic mm. and there are biphasic pills. But mm. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there spreading this sort of information like Lara Bryden and um, other people who talk about how ovulation is actually key to a woman's general health and well-being mm. in terms of our mental health and our um, general inflammation load and our immune health and our digestive health and our musculoskeletal health and our, uh, our um, cognitive function. You know, we need to ovulate for that to happen. Mm. So even though it is an option, it's not something that me like, personally I think is that great the pill so, yeah mm. no I think I think there's places for it but in PMS naturopathic mm. stuff can be like very so good, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah as we'll talk about mm. Mm. so then what happens then when you're on the pill mm. and you're still getting PMS so if you, that's really unfortunate if you're on the pill and you're still getting PMS it, pretty much means that you're on the wrong pill for you. So with patients like that, I would say, you know, sometimes patients want to take the pill for contraceptive, for contraception, that's yeah. fine, or because they've got endometriosis or something like that. Yeah. So we just need to change the pill and maybe choose one that has the strength that's more appropriate for that individual. Or we're looking at other, we're looking at herbal options um, I use saffron a lot in my clinic, which actually works on that serotonin pathway. Mm. Um, so if the PMS is just occurring because of those changes in serotonin, then that's um, I think that's really useful to use in combo there. <clears throat> yeah, so there's always going to be times when women do want to be on the pill and that's mm. fine if that's what they want to mm. do. So they, we know that we've got some options to treat it on top of that. Mm. And I know you love your saffron. I love saffron. <laughs> it's changed my life and so many of my patients. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've had similar experiences with my patients mm. too and we'll talk about that when we get mm. – <laughs> we'll talk about it in our herbs bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, but before we get into herbs, let's talk about diet. Mm. Mm. So there's just a general protocol that you generally recommend for people for PMS, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, look, in my clinic, pretty much everyone gets a very similar diet anyway. Um, whole food diets are very nutrient-dense, um, lots of fruit and veggies. I think the recommendations for two fruits and five veggies is – a little bit ridiculous so I'm aiming for much higher and mm. I think the latest research anyway coming out on cardiovascular health is suggesting 10 mm. so I'm not getting my patients to measure or anything like that but trying to get as much variety as possible and you know your two fruits and your five veggies should really just be in your 
entree breakfast, um, so trying to spread them out throughout the day and have as many as possible. The more fruits and veggies we have, the more nutrients we're getting, which is going to be beneficial for PMS and reducing the inflammation and oxidative stress. Um, adequate protein um, is also really, really important. And the big thing for me is adequate carbohydrates, which mm. is where I find a lot of my patients are actually falling down. They're not eating enough of the right carbohydrates, yeah. um, particularly in that week before they get their period because they're feeling maybe bloated or they've got a bit of a distorted um, feeling about how they look and because of those changes mm. that are occurring with the lower estrogen and serotonin, which affect our perception of ourselves. So at ovulation with the higher estrogen um, and steroid hormones, women might pass the window and think, oh, look at me, I'm fantastic. And then in the luteal phase, literally a week later, walking past that same window and just thinking, oh, my God, I'm a, I look at me, I look terrible or whatever, and literally not much has changed except for a, a change in the hormones and neurotransmitters yeah. as a result of what's happening it's fascinating yeah, isn't it? Yeah. it really does change the way you view yourself mm. like I always like put when I'm describing it to my patients I say estrogen's like you 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 go get a friend mm. she's like you got this girl you yeah. look great yeah. and progesterone's like just chill out and we'll take a rest <laughs> definitely yeah. yeah so if you've got high estrogen you tend to be a bit more vivacious and have more body confidence mm. but then when that drops down mm. the lack of that support mm. so yeah that's this is so interesting mm, it's really interesting so you know a lot of people rest a lot of women um because they're feeling a bit more they're retaining more fluid or whatever they reduce their carbohydrate intake but really in the luteal phase that's when you probably need to be upping your carbohydrates if you are someone that suffers from more of that flat mood and that lack of motivates yeah. um particularly in that week before they get their period because they're feeling maybe bloated or they've got a bit of a distorted um feeling about how they look and because of those changes mm. that are occurring with the lower estrogen and serotonin which affect our perception of ourselves so at ovulation with the higher estrogen um, and steroid hormones, women might pass the window and think, oh, look at me, I'm fantastic. And then in the luteal phase, literally a week later, walking past that same window and just thinking, oh, my God, I'm a, I look at me, I look terrible or whatever, and literally not much has changed except for a, a change in the hormones and neurotransmitters yeah. as a result of what's happening it's fascinating yeah. isn't it yeah. it really does change the way you view yourself mm. like I always like put when I'm describing it to my patients I say estrogen's like you 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 go get a friend mm. she's like you got this girl you yeah. look great yeah. and progesterone's like just chill out and we'll take a rest <laughs> definitely yeah. yeah so if you've got high estrogen you tend to be a bit more vivacious and have more body confidence mm. but then when that drops down mm. the lack of that support mm. so yeah that's, that's so interesting mm, it's really interesting so you know a lot of people rest a lot of women um because they're feeling a bit more they're retaining more fluid or whatever they reduce their carbohydrate intake but really in the luteal phase that's when you probably need to be upping your carbohydrates if you are someone that suffers from more of that flat mood and that lack of motivation because carbohydrate intake actually increases serotonin mm. so that lowered serotonin is driving a lot of those mood symptoms. So the, the you know the last thing we want to do is restrict the carbohydrates and lower the serotonin even more. Mm. So I find actually increasing carbohydrate intake in the luteal phase is, 
is actually really important mm. um, and that insatiable hunger that a lot of women experience with PMS in that week before is also there's a lot of research suggesting that's due to lower serotonin as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. Mm. So the sorts of carbohydrates you'd be suggesting for people to increase more of is not like, you know, your hot donuts chips and, and donuts. cereal. No. <laughs> Quite the opposite, of course. So lots of fruit. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm big on fruit. Um, potatoes, um, maybe not the white potatoes, but you get so many beautiful different coloured potatoes, tobagos, mm-hmm. um, etc. Um Rice, I'm a huge fan of. Um, good quality breads, so sourdoughs, um, for example. Mm. Um, all of those really lovely carbohydrates that are quite nutritious, quite grounding, mm. which is what a lot of people actually need in that mm. week before. They're a bit kind of um, space cadet-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's also because of that lowered estrogen. Um, estrogen's really, really important for cognition. Um, and as it drops in that luteal phase, a lot of women feel a bit spacey and, you know, where are my keys? Oh, I can't remember. Where's this? And mm. so ensuring that you've got adequate carbohydrates is actually really important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I read a study, this is to do with perimenopause, but when estrogen drops in that perimenopausal period, um, serotonin drops by 50%. So the same would be probably true mm. of that PMS in that luteal phase with estrogen dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, serotonin probably drops substantially if you think about it from yeah. that perspective. Yeah, that's so interesting. Mm. Okay, what about things like nutrients? Mm. So, yeah. so I love a good B vitamin. I mm-hmm. love a good B complex. Um, I love magnesium too. Mm-hmm. But the, the one a lot of people don't know about, which I found to be really, really useful, is calcium. Mm. So calcium levels drop d- dramatically um, in the week before menstruation and there's some good research showing that you know, 1,000 milligrams, so quite a large amount, actually helps um, with a lot of the mood symptoms, so mm. irritability, anxiety, flat mood, etc., mm. which is quite good, isn't it? Yeah, that's mm. really good. Mm. But yeah, everyone's all about the magnesium. They are, which They're I mean, we need good. it. Yeah, we definitely. do need it, but we need a lot. We need a lot more than that too. Yeah. We need the calcium, with yeah, because yeah. they work hand in hand. Exactly. So mm. using maybe a product that has both of them in would be the best thing. Yes. Mm. Okay. You want to talk about her? <laughs> <laughs> so okay, okay. <laughs> if you if you <laughs> insist. <Yes. laughs> Okay. Uh, shall we start with saffron? Well, okay. <laughs> I love saffron. Um, I just think it's so, so useful. Mm. Um, and the research shows that, you know, it's on par there with a lot of antidepressants too. Mm. So, and, you know, it can be taken with some antidepressants as well. So it's quite, it's quite a useful one. It is very expensive, but really, really worth it. But you're not using much. No, you're not using a lot at all. Um, I use, if it's just plain old PMS, maybe 10 mils a week. And if it is premenstrual dysmorphic disorder, I will up it to 15 and maybe even combine it with St. John's wort if Mm. they're not um, on the pills or anything like that. Yeah. And I find that so useful. And I've had patients that have come and seen me for premenstrual dysmorphic disorder that pretty much spend all their luteal phase on the couch can't work can't look after their children like some people have very very severe symptoms and they have 
just had such great results and not not experienced any of that, and that's within the cycle. The research does show um, for saffron being used for premenstrual dysmorphic disorder, the best results were seen in cycles three and four. So they were taking it for about four months, but my, in my clinical experience, I see people noticing a difference with by that next cycle. I find that it works very very quickly within a few days. Yeah. Yep. I would say that like my clinical experiences were similar, like that it often I'm combining it with other herbal mm. nervines, mm. but it's usually fairly quick in terms of its action. Mm. And and the interesting thing about the way that it works within the three months is because then that is suggesting that it is actually impacting on the hormonal level as well. Mm. Because then that's like your like your longer stage of your oocyte formation and recruitment mm. that we're talking about. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. So I guess that'll probably be something to keep your eye on. Mm, definitely. Um, there are some, like for me, I will only use it generally in the luteal phase too. So, you know, for my patients, I tend to put it in the big 500ml bottle because it gets kind of tricky to have to take two different types of herbal formula, but it, it can just be taken in the luteal phase okay. and throughout the cycle too. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good to know. Mm. It saves money too. Yeah. Mm. And um, because it is, it, it's such a, um, the way that it's harvested, it's like this one little stamen <laughs> in a flower that has to be picked out by hand, all these little mm. tweezers, and then the whole plant. And it, how much does it take to actually, like, make a tincture? So I guess mm. environmentally it is better to use it less mm. when, when you can. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, I'm I'm also a big fan of, as you said, St. John's Wort, mm. so particularly for when you're feeling really irritable and sensitive mm. to everything going on around you and, like, you know, that um, when, when you just you can't stand the slightest noise and you can't stand the slightest touch and you're like, just stop touching me. Mm. <laughs> that stop chewing in front of me. Yeah. Yes. like that, I can hear you yes. croaching that apple. Yeah. Um, so St John's Wort, is, it's known as an antidepressant, but it has so much more than that. Like traditionally it's called a pharmaleptic, which means it's a mood balancer. Um, and like when you look at the um, traditional approach of it, it's not just for people who are depressed, it's also for just general people irritable, irritable and um, anxious as well. But there is a caution, obviously, because it increases the cytochrome P450 pathway through the liver of the hormonal, um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the drug metabolism. Them. Yeah, so if you're on the pill, you can't take some John's Wars, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Unless, can you take the remotive? That one's okay. Yeah, yeah, they, you can um, because that one's a field of hyper of of St. John's Wort that doesn't seem to have the hypericin or the hyperferin, whichever constituent has been shown to be responsible for that pathway. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so that one's all right. Yeah. Mm. So that's, just, that's the flawless one. Mm. Yeah. Um, I also love dandelion leaf when mm. people tend to be that real fluidy feeling mm. as well. Mm. And dandelion is it works on the liver and like a naturopathic approach as well is that you know you've got to get your hormonal clearance happening through your liver, you've got to be detoxing. So while dandelion leaf is typically more of a diuretic compared to the dandelion root, mm. it still have a little bit of an affinity for that that mm. detoxing action. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, as well. I guess um, I love all the adaptogens for PMS too, mm. um, withania, rhodiola, licorice, due to the fact that stress tends to make the PMS worse, I find that they're really, really helpful. 
Um, before I started using saffron, that's pretty much what I used to use and get good results, but the saffron's really elevated to another level. Um, the other herb I find really, really useful is chamomile, actually, mm. for PMS. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a mild antidepressant, mm-hmm. um, which has been studied in PMS and shown to assist with mood, but it's also fantastic as an antispasmodic, so mm. quite good for that cramping um, that some women occur, uh, experience too. Mm. It's also a mild bitter, so mm. it's hitting a number of levels mm, yes yeah so I, I like chamomile it's nice it's anti-inflammatory mm. it's also mildly anti-androgenergic oh i didn't know that yeah ah. so a few research papers on that showing mm. benefit in pcos mm. oh wow yeah. so i always put it in my pcos formula mm. if, especially if there's tension and stress and yeah. gut issues mm. yeah lovely it's amazing yeah um okay what about Biotex. Oh, I was just, you know what, I haven't thought of Biotex at all, but I just thought of Biotex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, or Biotex, yeah. yeah. So if there are issues with prolactin, um, then I'm always thinking about Biotex. Mm. Yes. And definitely if there is that shorter luteal phase, um, mm. thinking about Biotex there too. It has been very well studied mm. for PMS and so many women find it useful. I guess my only caution, I guess, for listeners is that I find as, as lecturers we um, – I don't know if you see this too, a lot of students just tend to go, oh, female reproductive complaint, Vitex. Yeah. So I think we need to be really clear about how Vitex works and why we are prescribing it, not just using it for all female reproductive complaints. Um, It is dopaminergic. So it it actually decreases, it lowers prolactin Mm. via that mechanism. And high prolactin can cause a lot of issues. Um, so it's it's useful from that perspective. It may it's definitely not something I would use in isolation for a lot of the, the patients I see. And I I mean I've taken it myself and actually aggravated mm. um, because I had other issues that were causing my PMS. So mm. I think we always need to be very holistic and well rounded in our dispensing of herbs. Um, yeah. Mm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I actually see a lot of people have self-prescribed Vitex Mm. because, you know, it's in the health food shop. It says Mm. on there, indicated for for PMS. Like it even has it on the label because there have been studies on it for PMS. But as as you said, like our understanding of it has developed. Sure. So it's not actually a progestogenic herb. It's Mm. a prolactin-lowering herb. And so the pathways are different to how we've understood it previously. So it can't be extrapolated to all PMS cases. Exactly. So if you're, it's so good that you pointed that out because we said there's more than 150 different signs mm. and symptoms associated with PMS, so Vitex is definitely not going to fix all 150. It's such an individual yeah. thing. Mm. Yeah. But I guess if you try it, like mm. if, you, if you can't afford a console, mm. then you're essentially you're investing your time and your health mm. by self-experimenting. So you could experiment and you might find that it's okay. Mm. And if you do find that you aggravate, then stop and then you know you need mm. to look at other aspects mm. of your health and other areas and yeah, and eventually it will revert. <laughs> I know I actually aggravated on it too. Mm. Um, so it's interesting that we both mm. did because it took me about two months to go back to normal afterwards. Mm. My own normal. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, all right, another herb I love is vervain. So <laughs> my students will know that I love vervain. It's a, it's a bitter, it's cooling, and it's really good for reducing tension and irritability. So if you're you know you're a workaholic and you're, you're wound up and you're tired, you, everything's in your neck and your shoulders, then vervain is really good for you. So when you're a bit more um, like angry and impatient that's a real sort of vain <laughs> personality so it's me essentially <laughs> yeah. yeah it's everyone I think um well not really but um I, I always love to put that in mixes for for PMS if they've got that sort of personality going mm. on which is just you know when when you're a mum I think mm. and particularly a working mum yeah yeah juggling just like yeah. you just do the thing that I asked you to do. Yeah. 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 That's my kids at least. Mm-hmm. Not your patients. Not my patients. No, I'm talking about my kids. <laughs> yeah, it's challenging. I, see, I mean, I, I see lots of um, women who express the same thing. I was thinking of one I saw yesterday to some children and so I guess so down and hard on herself because she's losing patience and frustrated with her children mm-hmm. but when we look at what's really going on she's because she's got one of those watches and her the youngest one's four five months old and she's she's getting five max five hours sleep a night um breastfeeding having to look after the three-year-old who's mm-hmm. very um he's at that stage of life where he's trying to assert his independence um it's full on, isn't it? It so, is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think sometimes we. Have well, to be you've a gone through that. Oh, well, only one. But it, yeah, but it changes, doesn't oh, it? There's always yeah. different. Eight's a breeze to anyone who's got children younger. It's eight mm. is so good. She's so she's just a little pal. <laughs> Go out for dinner together. Oh, she, I think nice. they, they become independent. Yeah, and so I still. You know, shout at her in the morning to put her shoes on and everything, mm. but it's so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. But it's such a common thing. Like I see a lot of patients say, um, I feel like I'm more snappy at my children. Mm. Like I'm more irritable with them. Mm. I'm losing patience with my kids. And, yeah. You know, whether it's sleep deprivation or just poor stress response or PMS, mm. you know, it's a common driver for people to start like acting on their health. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, it, the body's telling us that something isn't quite working Mm. and we need a bit of extra support because you can't give up your children (laughs) and and some you know but I was saying to my patient yesterday there's actually we tried to work out how she could get more sleep and it doesn't appear that it can happen she hasn't got any family to help her so you know it is it is what it is there are things that we can't change Mm. um so we've just got to work with that and sometimes that just means being on herbs and nutrients just to support that adaption to stress mm. um, because, as I said to her yesterday, you know, maybe 100 years ago we would have had 30 other women living in the household helping breastfeed and wake up at night and it was a little bit different. Um, so even though we're modern women, maybe we have it a little bit harder in some respects. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do we do have it harder in that but then we've also got a lot more built burdens on ourselves physically mm. with our like in- hormonal disruptors. Mm, as well. Well. So yeah. you know, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, women wonder why they've got PMS and why they're experiencing these symptoms. Mm. I think it's 
kind of normal considering the juggling that a lot of women have to do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just our way of our body saying, you're doing too much. Pretty much. Yeah, just chill out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so often women need to do less and prioritise what's, what can, you know, is the house going to miss be messy? Well, oh well, because if I clean it up, it'll be messy again tomorrow. Or mm-hmm. does it really matter if those clothes don't get folded mm-hmm. for a month? Or two? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's it's better <laughs> It's better just to get a bit more sleep. Yeah, that's it. You've got to prioritize yeah. um, uh, and just sort of like delegate what doesn't give you joy as yeah. much as you can whether yeah. it's like if you if you find that like maybe your work gives you a little bit more joy you could do an extra hour at work get that income and then mm. pay someone to do an hour of cleaning oh, yeah i'm big on that so i'm not a rich woman but i do have a cleaner hundred dollars um he's only coming once a month now but so that really equates to 25 dollars a week which for me is a massive game changer because i hate I hate cleaning the shower. Mm. I hate changing the linen and all that sort of stuff. So he's well worth the money, mm. you know. So I think it is about choosing. I'm mean, gonna. You know, I would prefer to have him come in and do that for me and not go out for dinner. Then yeah. you know, I'd rather put the money there. Yes, yeah. helping my mental health. Yeah, if you, if that's important for you, mm. then you find that mm. money. You take exactly. it from somewhere else, or like you would rather do an extra. See an extra couple of hours yeah, a week. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, you do what gives you joy, mm. which is not, which is not cleaning, cleaning. <laughs> bathroom. No. Yeah. yeah, I actually don't mind cleaning, but um, oh, that's kind of like a I relaxed time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. I, I like cleaning my own house, and that's about it. Some some aspects I like doing. My main stress relief is gardening. Oh, gardening's really good, mm. and it's funny that you mentioned gardening because um, gardeners have actually been found to be happier individuals so they've actually found that there's certain bacteria certain microbes in the soil um, which release serotonin and gardeners actually get those microbes on the skin so it's absorbed in that way they inhale them um, which is really interesting so maybe some gardening is a recommendation for individuals with PMS I mean it's going to work on multiple ways there the soil and the microbiome but also i find that when you're out in the garden you can't it's kind of like a forced meditation Mm. um because you're quite present when you're in there and especially if you've got birds and trees and things like that you can't help engaging with all of that and just slowing down naturally so a lot of the time we're in this sympathetic nervous activation which disrupts the hormones. Mm. But when you're gardening and you're out in nature, we actually find that green space, there's lots of research to show that it lowers or regulates cortisol, reduces mm. anxiety. Um, very beneficial, mm. I would say. Yeah. Mm. And you're literally earthing while you're doing it. Exactly. Too, which is yeah. going to be reducing inflammation in the body. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, th- I think there's even studies on trees secreting certain substances which are immune modulating too. So it's very, it's very clever. It's like the basis of naturopathic principles, yeah. you know, nature as medicine. I love it. So the further we get away from mm. um, nature, the more our body tells us that something is wrong and PMS is one of those ways that it's telling mm. us that, mm. particularly for us ladies. Yeah. So a common recommendation for me, we've talked a bit about the herbs, but I'm really big on lifestyle things too. And often people, women that have PMS are often doing a lot mm. of things and so we're actually getting them to slow down and do less. So it might be just taking your shoes off at work <laughs> and, and your socks and putting them, earthing, 
or mm. going going out for a quick break mm. to where there's some green, some grass, sitting down there and taking your shoes and socks off. And it's incredible. Just that simple mm. um, task can just help people feel so much calmer and mm. grounded. Mm. Yeah, it's simple but powerful. Mm. Yeah. And then just doing fun things. Fun. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Isn't life too short not to be having fun? I think so. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, if you can see the humour in life, then it's it's just going to be a more enjoyable ride for you. Absolutely. So it's a predictor of well-being. Mm. You know, people that are more optimistic and can see the good and even when things that, I mean, life's not all a barrel of roses and chocolates, mm. but being able to understand that, there are ups and downs and things some, sometimes things happen to us but they are always and they're not nice or pleasant but they're always contributing to our growth and development as a person um when you can see your PMS or other disease as that um I think it can be really helpful mm. yeah you know you actually learn from it as mm. opposed to just sort of having to dread it and, and not appreciating it mm. yeah so Going back to fun, I often ask patients, you know, what do you do for fun? What makes you laugh? And more importantly, how often do you do it? Mm. And sometimes people aren't laughing what? at all no. during the I day. I don't have fun. Oh, I'm no. a busy working mum. I don't oh, have fun. No. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this fun? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm joking. I'm just really <laughs> boring and I'm finding this very enjoyable. <laughs> I'm joking. Good. I know. Like I said, I like gardening yes. and I like video games, mm. get my PlayStation going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think they say children laugh 200 times a day mm. and when you are around children, you would know with two, they find, they can be in hysterics if you say <laughs> bum or poo or something like that. They are literally mm. rolling around, tears, flowing fart is just oh, so funny um whereas adults tend to be way more <laughs> reserved and might not laugh once throughout the day yeah which is well I'm very childish <laughs> in my mind and so I'm lecturing and I'm talking about there's a celluloid called potassium phosphate which we refer to as pp and every time I say it, I go pp <laughs> Yeah, I just start laughing too much and I'm obviously too childish. It's good. It's, I think it's a lovely thing to find that amusing. <laughs> Completely. So when we, you know, I'm really big on the fun and the laughter because there's so much to it in terms of depth of what it does to our body. Yeah. Um, it helps modulate the immune system when you're laughing. You can't be in a fight or flight sympathetic dominant state. And we've, the research shows again and again that it's that sort of state that drives PMS mm. and other disease states. So the more that we are relaxed and laughing, the better life is and the, there's less disease for us essentially. Mm. It's actually like simple medicine. Um, <laughs> it's really... Yeah, so get outside, get dirty. And start laughing. Start laughing, yeah. And that could be, you know, watching funniest home videos, memes on Instagram. I love Brian Cardigan. It's hysterical. Um, yeah. Anything. It doesn't have to cost anything. Yeah, that's it. Um, Tim watches, Tim has this thing that he looks through all the time and I love going and looking over his shoulder at it and it's always this collection of memes and, like, fails and that sort mm. of thing. Like, Jim fails, love watching those. <laughs> You're laughing at other people's misfortune. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm having fun. <laughs> I'm sure they're okay at the end of the day. 
Um, okay, probably. You know, you talked you talked about how gardening is really important when it comes to like like the microbes and the mm. earthing and the, and the mindfulness as well. But like, I just wanted to sort of expand on that and talk about gut health a little mm. bit too, and how like, we actually make so much of our serotonin in our gut, and our we gut do. bacteria does that too. So that's mm. another area that you need to look at. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So that would be just. Um, you know, assessing do you actually have enough of the good bacteria? Are you breaking your food down properly? Mm. Are you eating inflammatory foods? And then, like, if you've got leaky gut, you could work on that. Mm. Or if you've got maybe an overgrowth of some unfriendly bacteria, or you've got, so you've got dysbiosis or SIBO or something going on there, it'd be important to address that and deal with it mm. so that you, you know you're just ticking that off, getting mm. that sorted, because that could be another driver. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of other drivers, you were talking about thyroid before. Yes. Yeah. So you. So I you found said, for me personally, um, an underlying thyroid issue. Is a sluggish thyroid was a really big driver of the PNS. Mm. Um, so getting that under control and increasing T three and thyroid function, I've noticed a significant difference mm. in PNS severity. Mm. Huge. So important. Mm. So I guess sometimes PMS, it's still PMS, but there's other conditions underlying it too. Mm. Yeah. And everything is just so interconnected mm. and interwoven and mm. like nothing exists in a vacuum Absolutely. in the body anyway. Yeah. yeah. So dysfunction in one area <coughs> will always affect everything else mm. too. Yeah. Yeah. It goes to show how, you know, you do need to look at everything holistically. Mm. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to go through for how to be happy in PMS? Um, well, I think it is something that doesn't happen overnight. Um, I think we all just need to be we need to be patient. And if you've had PMS for a certain amount of time, um, it does take a few months mm. to you know, get on top of it. But really, I think using depending on what's going on, but definitely for the mood stuff using saffron, bees and magnesium and applying some of the lifestyle things that we've talked about, fun, um, making sure you've got enough carbohydrates, whole food carbohydrates in the diet and adequate nutrients full stop. I think um, you should notice a change very, very quickly. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.